0: Chapter Ten of Hands of Iceland by Victor Hugo, translated by Abby Langdon Alger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sonia. Chapter Ten. You would never think her unhappy. Everything about her speaks of happiness. She wears necklaces of gold and purple robes. When she goes out, a throng of vassals lie prostrate in her path, and obedient pages spread carpets before her feet but none see her in the solitude that she loves. For then she weeps, and her husband does not see her tears. I am that miserable being, the spouse of an honourable man, of a noble count, the mother of a child whose smiles stab me to the heart. Maturin, Bertram The Countess D'Alefeld rose after a sleepless night to face a restless day. Half reclining on a sofa, she pondered the bitter aftertaste of corrupt pleasures, and the crime which wastes life in ecstasy without enjoyment, and grief without alleviation. She thought of Mastemon, whom guilty illusions had once painted in such seductive colours, so frightful now that she had penetrated his mask, and seen his soul through his body. The wretched woman wept, not because she had been deceived, but because her eyes were no longer blinded. Tears of regret, but not of repentance. Therefore her tears afforded her no relief. At this moment her door was opened. She dried her eyes quickly and turned away, annoyed at being surprised, for she had given orders that she was not to be disturbed. On seeing Mastemun, her vexation changed to fright, which was dispelled when she found that her son Frederick was with him. "'Mother!' cried the lieutenant. "'How does it happen that you are here? I thought you were at Bergen. Have our fine ladies taken to running about the country?' The Countess received Frederick with kisses, to which, like all spoiled children, he responded very coldly. This was possibly the worst of punishments to the unhappy woman. Frederick was her beloved son, the only creature in the world for whom she felt an unselfish affection, for a degraded woman, often, even when all sense of wifely duty has vanished, retained some trace of the mother. I see, my son, that when you heard I was in Trondheim, you hastened to me at once. "'Oh, no, not I. "'I was bored to death at the fort, "'so I came to town, where I met Mastemann, "'who brought me here.' "'The poor mother sighed heavily. "'By the way, mother,' continued Frederick, "'I am very glad to see you, "'for you can tell me whether knots of pink ribbon "'on the hem of the doublet are still worn in Copenhagen. "'Did you think to bring me a flask of that oil of youth "'to whiten the skin? "'You did not forget, I hope.' the last French novel or the pure gold lace which I asked you to get for my scarlet cloak, or those little combs which are so much used just now to hold the curls in place, or... The poor woman had brought nothing to her son, the only love she had on earth. My dear boy, I have been ill, and my sufferings prevented my thinking of your pleasures. Have you been ill, mother? Well, are you better now? By the by, how is my pack of Norman hounds?' i'll wager that they have neglected to bathe my monkey in rose-water every night you'll see that i shall find my parrot bilboa dead on my return when i am away no one thinks of my pets at least your mother thinks of you my son said his mother in a faltering voice had this been the inexorable hour when the destroying angel hurled sinful souls into everlasting torments he would have felt pity for the torture which at this instant wrung the heart of the unfortunate countess Mastemon laughed in his sleeve. Sir Frederick, said he, I see that the steel sword has no desire to rust in its iron scabbard. You do not care to lose the wholesome traditions of Copenhagen drawing-rooms within the walls of Munkholm. But yet, allow me to ask you, what is the use of all this oil of youth, these pink ribbons and little combs?" "'What is the use of all these preparations for a siege "'if the only feminine fortress within the walls of Munkholm is impregnable?' <laughs> Upon my honour she is!' laughingly responded Frederick. "'Certainly if I have failed, General Shack himself would fail. "'But how can you surprise a fortress where nothing is exposed, "'where every post is unremittingly guarded? "'How can you contend against chemisettes which cover all but the neck?' against sleeves that hide the whole arm, so that only the face and hands remain to prove that the young woman is not as black as the Emperor of Mauritania. My dear tutor, you yourself would have to go to school again. Believe me, that fort is not to be taken where modesty is garrisoned. Indeed, said mus but may not modesty be forced to surrender if love lay siege to it instead of confining himself to a blockade of delicate attentions, labour in vain, my dear friend. love is already in possession of the place, but he serves to reinforce modesty. Ah, Sir Frederick, this is news indeed, with love on your side, and who tells you, my demon, that he is on my side on, on whose who's then? then? exclaimed mus and the Countess, who had listened in silence until now, but who was reminded of Ordner by the lieutenant's last words. Frederick was about to answer and was already preparing a spicy account of the scene of the previous night, when he remembered the silence prescribed by the etiquette of duelling, which changed his gaiety to confusion. In faith, said he, I don't know, that of some clown, perhaps, some retainer some soldier of the garrison said mass Demon, laughing heartily what my son exclaimed the countess in her turn are you sure that she loves a rustic a serf what luck if you are sure of it oh, of course i am sure but it's not one of the soldiers of the garrison added the lieutenant with an offended air I am sure enough of what I say, however, to beg you, mother, to cut short my very unnecessary exile at that confounded castle. The Countess' face brightened on hearing of the young girl's fall. Ordner guldenlews eagerness to visit Munkholm now appeared to her in very different colours. She gave her son the benefit of them. You must give us an account, Frederick, of Ethel Schumacher's loves. I am not surprised. The daughter of a boar can only love a boar. Meantime... Do not curse that castle which yesterday afforded you the honour of the first advances towards an acquaintance from a certain distinguished personage. What, mother? said the lieutenant, staring at her. What distinguished personage? A truce suggests, my son, did no one visit you yesterday? You see that I know all about it. He faith more than I do, mother.' Deuce take me if I saw a face yesterday except those of the masks carved beneath the cornices of those old towers?' "'What, Frederick? You saw nobody?' "'No one, mother!' In omitting to mention his antagonist of the dungeon, Frederick obeyed the law which bound him to silence. Besides, could that clodhopper be counted as anyone?' "'What?' said his mother. "'Did not the Viceroy's son visit Munkholm last night?' The lieutenant laughed. (laughs) The Viceroy's son? Indeed, mother, you must be dreaming, or else you are joking. Neither, my son. Who was on guard yesterday? I myself, mother. And you did not see Baron Ordener? Not a bit of it, repeated the lieutenant. But consider, my boy, he may have entered in disguise. You never saw him, having been brought up at Copenhagen, While he was educated at Trondheim, remember all the stories about his caprices and whims and his eccentric ideas. Are you sure, my son, that you did not see anyone? Frederick hesitated an instant. No, he cried. No one. I can say no more. Then, replied the Countess, I suppose the Baron did not go to Munkhorn. Mastemon, at first surprised like Frederick, had listened attentively. He interrupted the countess. Allow me, noble lady. Master Frederick, pray, tell me the name of the dependent loved by Schumacher's daughter. He repeated his question, for Frederick, who for some moments had been lost in thought, did not hear him. I do not know, or rather... No, I do not know. "'And how, sir, do you know that she loves a dependent?' "'Did I say so? A dependent? Well, yes, he is a dependent.' The awkwardness of the lieutenant's position increased momentarily. The series of questions, the ideas to which they gave rise, his enforced silence, threw him into a confusion which he feared he could not much longer control. "'Upon my word, Mr. Musteman, and you, my lady mother, "'If a mania for asking questions be the latest fashion, "'you may amuse yourselves by questioning each other. "'For my part, I'll have nothing more to say to you.'" And flinging open the door, he disappeared, leaving them plunged in an abyss of doubt. He hastened down into the courtyard, for he heard mus voice calling him back. He mounted his horse and rode toward the harbour, where he intended to take a boat for Munkholm, thinking that there he might find the stranger, who had given rise to such serious thoughts in the greatest feather brain of a feather brain capital? If that was Ordner Guldenlev, he reflected, then my poor Ulrica. But no, it is impossible that he could be such a fool as to prefer the penniless daughter of a prisoner of state to the wealthy daughter of an all-powerful minister. At any rate, Schumacher's daughter can be no more than a caprice. And there is nothing to hinder a man who has a wife from having a mistress, too. In fact, it is quite the stylish thing. But no, it was not ordinary. The viceroy's son would never wear such a shabby jacket. And that old black plume without a buckle, beaten by the wind and rain. And that great cloak, big enough for a tent. And that disordered hair, with no combs and no frizzes. And those boots with iron spurs covered with mud and dust? Indeed, it could never be he. Baron Thorwick is a knight of the Dunnebrog. That fellow wore no decoration. If I were a knight of the dannebrog I believe I should wear the collar of the Order to bed. Oh, no, he had never even read Clelia. Now, nah, he was not the Viceroy's son. End of chapter 10